Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One crime, two murders. Nope. No. no. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> I just blew that one completely. That's because we just had a moment of total trauma and true terror. Kaylin thought she just deleted her entire file of her crime case and we <laughs> well, just got over a moment of panic, so bear with us. Well, so normally when we first started doing this and I would do my research and stuff, I would write it all down on, in like a notebook. And then I realized I kind of just want to be a little more lazy about it. And I started typing it on my laptop, which is connected to my phone. And then I got even more lazy <laughs> and I started putting it in my notes on my phone by vo voice to text. See, we don't even call this lazy. We call this tech savvy, yes, right? I'm that's, being tech savvy. That's lazy, what we're going to call this. Because as I'm researching, I'll then make the notes with just talking and it works out great. Well, I pull it up on my phone and I accidentally hit delete. Thank goodness that Apple has a recently deleted thing where... They will, it, you, you have a second chance. So, so. <laughs> Here we go. Now, this case, I think, is particularly scary. Okay. Because of the fact that when you go to a hospital, you're I know which case this is because I looked at it. Okay, I know. You cheated. I didn't cheat. I probably, no. Honestly, when I was flipping through cases, uh, and when I asked you and I said, you know, which one are you doing? I, um, I mean, I'd, I'd already settled on the one I was going to do, but the one that you're looking at was right in the same list, and I was very tempted for a moment. So, <laughs> Well, especially since we didn't ask each other until today right. what cases we were doing. I'm really glad that we didn't end up doing the Me same too. one. Or this would have been a one-episode week. <laughs> yes, but I didn't do a lot of research on this one. However, I know I've seen a couple of, you know, of shows that I watch definitely have profiled this person. Yeah, so. and this is not the first case of this type of murder. No, there's lots of these yeah. out there. In fact, you could probably, like, that'd be another idea for a podcast is somebody just to focus on, I'm, can I spoil it sure. a little bit, on these, you know, angel of death sorts of cases. Because like you said, there's a lot of them out yeah. there. I know one of our recent states that we just did, that was one of my options that I was choosing from, mm -hmm. was another angel of death which is if you don't know what that is that's somebody in the healthcare killing patients yeah <laughs> but i think it's especially scary because when you go to the hospital and you you're putting literally putting your life in these people's mm -hmm. hands and you expect them to be good-hearted people who really have your best interest at heart and sometimes that's just not the case no. and this is another one of those examples where you know for instance pedophiles enter certain professions that are going to give them access to kids. Yes. You know, people with these proclivities go into the healthcare business because it's so easy to do what they do yeah. under that umbrella, which is, yeah, I, I have to say this is absolutely terrifying to it's, me. Yeah, so scary. So we are following Charles Cullen. Mm -hmm. He was born on February 20th, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. This is another one of the cases 
that could be in either state because he bounces back and forth quite a bit. So he was born in New Jersey, and he was the youngest of eight children. Oh my gosh. In a very religious Catholic family. His father was a bus driver, and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. Good grief. And his father died when he was a young child. Okay. Infancy area. Oh, wow. Okay. When he was very young. And two of his siblings had also died. It didn't really specify timelines of when they had died. But it was also said that his father raped him as a child. Oh, my God. Which is terrifying. Yes. And... Do you... We know how well substantiated that is. Does that come from him? Does that come from other sources? I think it came from him. So then I don't believe it. Yeah. (laughs) I know that's terrible to say, but I am so jaded about some of these, especially this dude, because of we have guest puppies running around in the background, so forgive us. Um, Especially in a case like this with somebody who was this murderous, this high of a body count, I don't believe it. He's going to say anything to try to get off. So So he said that his childhood was miserable. He attempted suicide for the first time when he was nine years old. He drank chemicals from a chemistry set that he had. And that was the first of 20 suicide attempts throughout his entire life. Again, is this all just self-reported? Is there any substantiating evidence? There is some evidence with at least some of them. Okay, then I'll try to not be so He was 17 when his mom died in a car accident. Okay. And it was at the hands of his sister. His sister was driving. They got in a car accident. His mom died. And so this was when he decided to drop out of high school and enlist in the Navy in 1978. Okay. He became a third class petty officer and not long into his career in the Navy, he was showing signs of mental instability. He at one point worked one of his shifts in a green surgical gown with a surgical mask and latex gloves that he had stolen from one of the ship's medical cabinets. All right. And they ended up transferring him to another ship. Mm -hmm. And when this happened, he tried to kill himself several times over the next couple of years after that. And his last suicide attempt is what led him to being discharged from the Navy in March of 1984. All right. And after he was discharged from the Navy, he attended Mountainside School of Nursing and got a job. Okay, okay, okay. How is it that you have a background like this and you're allowed to go into a profession as demanding as stressful as nursing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, again, and I understand I'm walking a very fine line here, but. (laughs) No, I get it. I also think it was the 80s. And I also think that they, I know at this point it was said that the medical field was its, 
like dire need of nurses that I think they were True. taking anybody that would do it. And, and we're going to see how well that works out. So he attended Mountainside School of Nursing and got a job at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey in 1987. His first murder was committed on June 11th, 1988. And it was John Yango mm -hmm. Sr. He was admitted into St. Barnabas Medical Center suffering from an allergic reaction to a blood thinning medication that he had been given. Mm -hmm. And Charles then gave him a lethal dose of a medication and he has since admitted to killing 11 patients at St. Barnabas. Wow. Including <laughs> an AIDS patient who died after being given an overdose of insulin. Now, we then find out that he's got two drugs of choice when he decides to kill his victims. It is either insulin mm -hmm. or dioxin. Which, can I just say, I mean, I know right now insulin prices are insane and that's an issue that has to be dealt with um, but my dog who has sadly passed on had diabetes and I used to have to give him shots and that is when I found out you don't have to have a prescription to buy insulin mm -mm. that is the weirdest thing in the world to me because it is so easy to kill somebody with insulin like yeah that's like my case my KKK case mm -hmm. where you could just walk into any you know, pharmacy and buy the tablets that she used. Yeah. That is so weird to me. So weird. Okay. Sorry. I just, <laughs> I had to comment on that. So Charles then quit his job at St. Barnabas in 1992 when the hospital authorities began investigating who might have been tampering with the IV bags that were killing patients. <sighs> so he then took a job at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. In February of 1992. And there he murdered three elderly women by giving them overdoses of the heart medication, which was the dioxin. Mm -hmm. And his final victim lived and said that a sneaky male nurse injected her as she slept. But her family members and the other healthcare workers didn't believe her. Oh, no. So... In January of 1983, his wife divorced him. He was married and had two children. Oh, my gosh. She filed for divorce in 1983 and then later filed domestic violence complaints against him. And in the divorce papers, it said that with his domestic violence complaints, it also said that he was an alcoholic. He was someone who abused pets by placing them in bowling bags and trash cans. Oh, God. He poured lighter fluid onto pe into people's drinks. He made prank phone calls to funeral homes. So there's all kinds of red flags just waving wildly in the yes. air that no one is paying attention yep. to. So he ends up with joint custody of his two daughters. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. See, can we talk about, this is one of the things that just drives me insane, that you have people who are found guilty of domestic violence and they still have access to their children because unless you go and separately prove they abuse, I'm sorry, no. If you are abusing your partner, you are abusing your children. Period. The end. Even if you never lay a finger on the children. I agree. 
and I already have a case picked out for one of our future states, which very much will go into that. Yeah. So he ends up with joint custody of his daughters, and he said that in he said in 1993 that he wanted to quit nursing. Okay. He didn't want to do it anymore, but he couldn't quit because he had to pay for child support, so he had to keep working. Which, I don't know how much I believe that he really wanted to quit. I think it might have been more like a pity me, pity me thing. Like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I have to because I have to pay child support. But at the same time, like, this was what he was getting off on was killing these people. And he only could have been able to get away with it like he did being a nurse. Mm -hmm. So, in March of 1993, he broke into a co-worker's home while she and her son slept, but left without waking them up. And then he started calling her a lot, leaving her messages. He followed her around at work and around town. And she ended up filing a complaint against him. And he pleaded guilty to trespassing and was placed on a year of probation. Again. Animal cruelty laws, domestic violence, stalking, all of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Those two areas are so important for finding people like this before they get as far along the road as this guy ended up getting. I do not understand why we do not strengthen these things. Yeah. It makes me insane. But you get found with, like, a little bit of weed and you'll go to jail for a while. It is bonkers. <laughs> it makes no sense. So, he, after he was arrested for the trespassing, he attempts suicide again. And he ends up taking two months off of work to get treated for depression mm -hmm. in two different facilities. He attempted suicide two more times before the end of that year. And he ended up leaving Warren Hospital in December of 1993. Okay, he's a nurse. Mm -hmm. And he's making only suicide attempt, quote unquote. I'm sorry, I'm back to being incredibly skeptical. That if you, because he's a nurse and he has so much access to whatever he needs these to kill all, himself. These all just seem like, yeah, I'm sorry, this seems like some sort of minute. And I hate to say this, like I said, I know, I mean, suicide is a, is a tragedy. Far too many people take that route but these sorts of cases here just knowing what else we know about mm -hmm. him you know th this just seems like he's laying some sort of a path I don't know but I, I kind of he's not serious about it is what yeah, I'm no. saying because if he was he had he has all of the exactly he has all of the, he knows how to do it and he has access to everything he would need to do it yes so he leaves Warren Hospital in December of 1993, and he took a job at Hunter Medical Center and in Rarity Township, New Jersey. He worked in the hospital's ICU and cardiac center for three years. During his first two years, he claimed he didn't murder anybody. Sure. But the hospital records for the time, by the time he was arrested in 2003... The hospital records for that time had been destroyed. Okay. So there was no way for anybody to go back to seeing to see if he was telling the truth on whether or not he had actually murdered anybody during those first two years he was at that hospital. Okay. And he did admit 
to murdering five patients in the first nine months of 1996. And it was, again, because he had given them overdoses of medication like dioxin or insulin. So he became a licensed nurse in Pennsylvania in 1994. Which is another thing that I have also seen in cases is that, you know, you, you do have to certify in different states for these things. But they don't always do the background check that they should. And his is definitely a case as well, yes. given the cloud of suspicion. So Yeah. So he found work at the Morris Memorial Hospital and he was fired from there in 1997 for poor performance and for the next six months or so he didn't have a job. He quit making his child support payments but in October of 1997 he ended up in the hospital emergency room and was looking for more treatment for his depression. Okay. He was admitted into a psychiatric facility, but left a short time after. And his treatment had not really done anything for his mental health. One of his neighbors said that he could be found chasing cats down the street in the middle of the night, yelling or talking to himself, and making faces at people. And they he would make faces at people when they, he thought they weren't looking at him. Yeah. So, in February of 1998, Charles was hired at the Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. This was very short-lived because Liberty Nursing ended up firing him in October of 1998 after he was seen entering a patient's room with a syringe in his hand and the patient ended up having a broken arm, but apparently no actions were made. And he was accused of giving patients drugs at unscheduled times. So, like, he was fired, but, like, that's all that happened. Yeah. And again, you know, you said when we wrapped up my last, my Pennsylvania case, that this one was going to be equally frustrating. I'm already there. Yep. I don't, like I said, I do not understand how this happens where you just have... I mean, these aren't like little things. These are, people know he's hurting people at the very least. Yeah. If not killing them. You know, the the mental health reports, like why is nothing setting off alarms for people? Why does Why do they continue to say, yes, we will trust you with the most vulnerable people? Yeah. So he then took a job at... Elgin Hospital in Pennsylvania from November 1998 to March of 1999. And on December 30th of 1998, he murdered another patient with the same drug dioxin. Mm -hmm. And a coroner's blood test showed the amounts of dioxin in the patient's blood. But an investigation was inconclusive and nothing pointed definitely to Charles as a murderer. Okay. So he continued to find work while the, there was a nationwide nursing shortage, which made it difficult for hospitals to recruit nurses. And they, excuse me, they didn't have any like reporting mechanisms or other systems to kind of track nurses as they went. Mm -hmm. And so... It was, and it was hard to track any nurses that had 
mental health issues or other things like this that they should have been looking at. Right. They didn't have any sort of system for that. Okay. So he took another job at a burn unit in Lehigh Valley, a hospital, and there he murdered one patient and then attempted to murder another one in April of 1999. He voluntarily resigned from Lehigh Valley Hospital and took a job at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He worked in the St. Luke's cardiac care unit. And over the next three years, he murdered five more patients and attempted to murder. In January of 2000, he attempted suicide again. But by putting his charcoal grill in his bathtub and lighting it, hoping that the carbon monoxide gas would kill him. Okay, again, no. No, no, no. I'm sorry. This is just ridiculous. These are all things that he is doing, A, for attention. I, I have no doubt. These are attention-seeking behaviors. And B, just no. That, <laughs> charcoal. I laughed really hard when I first investigated it, when I first researched it, because that is... It, of all things to do, you're going to put a charcoal grill in your bathtub. Okay, I was feeling bad earlier about, you know, being so cynical. Not anymore. This <laughs> legitimized everything I said earlier. Mm -hmm. No, this is nonsense. So the neighbors spelled the smoke and called the fire department and, and the police. And he was taken to the hospital and to a psychiatric facility, but was back home the next day. Of course. No one really suspected Charles was murdering patients in the St. Luke's Hospital until a co-worker accidentally found the files of unused medications in a disposal bin. And the drugs that they had were not valuable outside of the hospital, so they didn't really believe that anybody was stealing them. And they weren't the kind of things that... They're not like recreational drugs. So the thought of theft was like completely off the table. So it was really kind of baffling to them. I'm like, why is someone trying to steal these when they're not valuable and they're not like, they can't be sold because it's not like a recreational drug that people are going to want to buy. Gotcha. And so they investigated and it showed that Charles had taken the medication so he was fired and escorted from the building in June of 2002. Now, seven St. Luke's nurses who worked with him later met with the Lehigh County District Attorney to tell the authorities about their suspicions. Okay. And that maybe he was using these drugs to kill patients. patients. So now people are like kind of like finally coming to their senses. Mm -hmm. When he started in the nursing field in 1987. It is now 2002. And now people are going to authorities and be like, I think something's happening here. So they pointed out that between January and June of 2002, Charles had worked 20% of the hours in his unit as the group whole. Okay. He was he only worked 20% of the hours total. But he was present for nearly two-thirds of the deaths that happened in his unit. Oh my god. 
So investigators never really looked into Charles's past, mm-hmm. and the case was dropped nine months later for lack of evidence. Oh, uh, even without his past, statistically, that is bonkers. Exactly. That's a great word for it. Our favorite word. But I know. I, uh, I feel like there would have been plenty of evidence had there been a system where they could have gone and looked into his past a little more. And the fact that he was stealing drugs. Just get him on that for heaven's sake. I know. And it's hard because like now we do have these systems that hold people accountable for what they're doing and how they're doing their jobs. So like now that we have these systems, like it makes, it obviously makes me feel more comfortable in a hospital or stuff in, right. or situations like that where I'm not worried about like this person can easily get away with trying to kill me mm-hmm. because they are held more accountable and it's absolutely bonkers that he was able to get away with so many murders without anybody stepping up and right. being like something's not right here. Well, and all of these jobs that he lost, I mean just his employment history alone combined with all of these quote unquote suicide attempts and you know what I mean? I don't understand that didn't even take like a ton of investigating for instance. Do you know what I mean? Like Well, and so I think another thing that frustrates me is we've talked a lot about how our justice system need is very flawed mm-hmm. and needs some fixing. Our healthcare system oh. is also very flawed and needs some fixing. So I don't know if any of you have ever heard about the Dr. Death yes. thing. So this is very reminiscent of that to me because that's where you really realize that our healthcare system honestly is only looking out for themselves well yes and that's very obvious and it sucks because especially when you get into the doctor death thing you realize that our healthcare system if something like this is happening instead of getting authorities involved in it they would rather pay off their victims instead of getting any sort of justice with the person who is doing the harm. Exactly. And I think that also played a big factor in mm-hmm. this is that instead of getting authorities into it, because once the authorities get called, the media gets called, once the media gets called, then everybody knows what's happening and you have less patients coming into mm-hmm. your hospital. Right. And well, and again, this is another, and people are, you can, you can, angry tweet and get on the discussion thing, you know, page and yell at me all you want. Profit does not belong in the healthcare system, period, end of story. Because that is what underlines so much of this nonsense as well, is you have these hospitals and institutions who want to protect their bottom line money. And that is not what healthcare should be about ever. Yeah. And it's, it's so sad that in the healthcare system, like your main job is to make sure you don't kill people. Right. Like that's well, your you main thing. Yeah. That's your main job is to help people. And when something is going wrong is to the point is where people are getting hurt or people are dying. Instead of helping more people, you pay them off. 
and act like nothing happened. That's because, honestly, and again, most nurses, doctors, people who work in that are, are heroes to me. I love and adore them. But the people running these institutions, they are in it for the money. They are there for shareholders. They are there to protect profit margins. That's what their main goal is, not taking care of people. And that's why things like this are allowed to happen. Yeah, and it sucks because there needs to be real-life consequences for towards these people who are purposely feeding on the sick and on the healthy and the hurt. And it's just, it's just not happening, and it's very frustrating. So... Charles then worked for a very short time at Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown, but he didn't get along with his co-workers, so he left. He, in September of 2002, he found a job at Somerset Medical Center in Somerset, New Jersey, where he worked in the critical care unit. And at this point, his depression had worsened. Even though he had been dating a new woman, which I put that specifically in there the way I read it in the article. <laughs> because if you know anything about depression, it's not going to change because you're dating someone. Right. You know what I mean? So I made sure to put that in there because it, it made me laugh a little bit. Because that was exactly how it was said in the article. It was like, his depression kept getting worse. Even though he was dating this new girl. <laughs> like, this new girl was supposed to, like, cure his depression. Exactly, like yeah. Anyway... So, he ended up murdering eight more patients and attempted to murder, murder another one by June, where, again, his drugs of choice were dioxin and insulin. And in, on June 18th, 2003, Charles attempted to murder Philip Greger, who was a patient at the Somerset Hospital, but he survived. And he was discharged... And sadly, ended up dying six months later Aww. of natural, unrelated causes. So, soon afterward, the hospital computer systems, our technology was getting better. And that's when we started getting more of a system. So, the hospital computer systems showed Charles was accessing the records of patients that he was not assigned to. So... He was accessing records of patients that he was not assigned to, and he was seen in patients' rooms that he was not assigned to, and the computerized drug dispensing cabinets were showing that he was requesting medications that patients had not been prescribed, okay. which I don't know if he had just gotten so comfortable in what he was doing that he didn't realize that what he was doing was gonna get him caught now that the technology had gotten better because they are literally tracking who is taking medications out. And it's just crazy. To me, it seems like the most dumb thing that he could have done. Well, and again, though, look how long he'd been doing this. Do you know what I mean? And you just, I can't imagine the hubris that he had developed after this amount of time. It's like... You know, my guy, when he's in prison, 72 hours before he goes to trial for theft, you know, and, and then he's claiming the life insurance policy. I really do. I think when people get away with things, they just get sloppy. Yeah, and this was 
basically why he got caught was because he was all of the new technology mm -hmm. and he was being caught taking medications that patients weren't prescribed out of the um, the drug dispensing cabinet. So they had been adding it to hospitals more and more. So he was now leaving a trail. Okay. More so than he was before. They were, he was leaving a trail that people could follow. And the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System said that in July of 2003, at least four of the suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility of an employee killing patients at the hospital. But the hospital put off contacting the authorities until October, which again is bonkers that these people are so money hungry that they are willing to literally let their people die. Mm -hmm. Then call the cops. Yep. And again, they're just money, so money. worried about covering their own asses. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Drives me nuts. By October, Charles had killed another five patients. Oh my God. So instead of calling the cops and saving these five people, he killed five more patients and attempted to kill a sixth and then proceeded to have sex with his victims. Now, it was never specified how long that was going on. So he must have really just gotten very comfortable. Either that or it had been going. I don't know. I, yeah. So in October, when the hospital ended up calling the cops about his issues, it was because his final victim had died of low blood sugar in October. And an investigation into his employment history revealed things about his past involvements with prior deaths. So Somerset Medical Center fired him on October 31st, 2003. And you don't know why they fired him? It's going to be something that just makes me want to punch a wall, I can tell already. For lying on his job application? Oh God, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, so he was fired for lying on his application. I'm just livid right now. Luckily, the police kept him under surveillance after this. <laughs> Gee, you think? Finally. <laughs> they kept him under surveillance for the next few weeks, for the several weeks after, until they were able to finish their investigation. Because they couldn't have done that back when two-thirds of the deaths that occurred occurred under his watch. No, why would you even be suspicious? Just let him go. Yeah. This might make you happy. <laughs> State officials did penalize the hospital for waiting to call the police. Good. And basically for the failed report for non-fatal insulin overdose. So the man, he didn't die, but instead of reporting it... Like, he's still OD'd. Right, exactly. He just didn't die from it. So instead of reporting it, they got penalized for not reporting it. Good. And the overdose had been administered by Charles. Of course it of was. Of course. Now, that is the end of his killing spree. And the police had done their investigation and stuff like that. He'd ended up being arrested on... One count of murder. Oh, my God. One count of attempted murder. 
And I don't even know, do we have any idea what his total numbers are? We have a range. Okay. okay, so he wasn't arrested for any of the things that happened in the hospital. So his one count of murder and one count of attempted murder were at a restaurant on December 14th, 2003. When he was arrested, he admitted to the murder of Reverend Florine Call and admitted to the murder of patients at the Somerset Hospital. So now in April of 2004, he pled guilty in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill two others by lethal injection, which we all know that that was his killing right. of choice. And that, that was all while he was employed at Somerset. He ended up taking a plea deal. So he promised to cooperate with authorities if they did not take the death penalty. Okay. So a month later, he pled guilty to the murder of three more patients in New Jersey. And in November of 2004, he pled guilty in a Pennsylvania court for killing six patients and attempted to kill three patients. So in July of 2005, he remained in the Somerset County Jail in New Jersey as authorities continued to investigate for the possibilities of his involvement with other deaths. Right. Now, he is currently serving a life sentence without, at this point, this is in 2005, he was already serving a life sentence without parole for 30 years. So he had to serve 30 years of his life sentence before he would be eligible to for parole. And that was also being served consecutive, consecutively with his sentences from Pennsylvania. Okay. So we'll jump to March 2nd, 2006. He was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences. Good. In New Jersey. Okay. And he would be eligible for parole in 397 years. Awesome. And he is held at the New Jersey State Prison in Trent, New Jersey. Now on March 10th, so eight days later, he was in another sentencing. He had another trial. And all in all, he ended up facing... 18 consecutive life sentences. 11 of those sentences were for New Jersey. Okay. And then seven in Pennsylvania. And he has to serve them consecutively. Right. So at this point, there's no chance of parole. But he killed anywhere between 29 and 45 people between the years of 1984 and 2003. My guess is probably the higher end of the, that number. I would think so, too. And, you know, and here's the thing. We have no way of knowing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And he's not, he's obviously not somebody who's reliable or honest in any way. Like I said, yeah, this case is, <laughs> it, it just makes you insane it with does. anger. And the other thing is, all of these institutions where he worked who just let him walk out the door without, you know, 
thinking, gee, maybe we should, you know, tell the next people down the line or do you know what I'm saying? I'm about I'm... to make you real happy. Okay. So before I make you really happy, I'm going to tell you <laughs> why he said he did what he did. Okay. Now he said that he administered, he administered the overdoses to the patients to spare them from being quote coded. Which basically means that they're going into cardiac right. or resp respiratory arrest and they're listed as a code blue emergency, which means their heart stops. And he told detectives that he could not bear to witness or hear about the time of saving the victim's life. Which makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to no me sense. either. So he also claimed that he gave patients overdoses so that they could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them. Mm -hmm. And again, of course he says crap like this. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, no, I'm really good person. You know what I, I mean? He's a liar. Too, yeah. So, so in December of 2003, he said that he lived most of his life in a fog and that he had blocked out the memories of the murders the murders of most of his victims. And he said he couldn't quite recall exactly how many of them there were or why he chose them specifically. I know why he chose them because they were in a weak state and he could easily put something in their IV and kill them. It was opportunity. It, These were the patients that he had the opportunity. Oh, I, now's a good time to go grab the drug. Now's a good time to go sneak in and do it. That's the only thing he cared about. Yeah. And in some cases, he admittedly denied committing murders at a given facility where then after reviewing the medical records and other such that he would admit being involved with certain patients there. So he, like you said, cannot be trusted because one second he would deny it and then he'd see that there's like medical records and he'd be like, well, I guess I did. I was involved with like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. he's, he's just, just don't talk to him anymore. Like, yeah. honestly, okay. just let him rot and sell. Now this is what's going to make you happy. Since this case and because of him, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and 35 other States adopted new laws which encourage employers to give honest appraisals of okay. their, their performances. This doesn't make me happy. Wait, it gets better. Encourage? I know, that part's annoying, but it does get better. So many of the laws that were passed in 2004 and 2005 because of this case strengthened disclosure, disclosure requirements for healthcare facilities. So it bolstered their legal protections for the healthcare facilities and it makes them report proper care and require licensed healthcare professionals to undergo criminal background checks and fingerprinting at their own cost. Okay. So, like, a little bit of good came out of it because... But again, you know what? You're putting the honor, you know, the honorousness of those on the employees. Because mm -hmm. it's the employees now who are having to pay for this. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, Which is kind of bullshit because... Well, and that's, I mean, I have to do that as a teacher. When I came to this district, I had to go get fingerprinted. Guess who paid for it? Me. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like these institutions make institutional decisions. They continue, their profits aren't hurt. Do you know what I mean? So I think that when it comes to fingerprinting and stuff like that, I think that when you do it, sure, make you pay. When it comes back, fine, and you get the job, give that money back. 
There you go, a bonus or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they won't, again, and this I is know, what I'm saying. Well, I'm not going to rant anymore. It just, it would make, I don't know, it just makes more sense that way. I would understand if they had to go pay for their own background check and do their fingerprinting. Shit comes back and it's like, sorry, we can't give you the job. Cool, don't give them that money back. Mm -hmm. But when they were honest with you in the first place and you, are, you give them this job and you employ them, why not just... Like, here, have that yeah. little bit of money back. I don't know. Reward good people, maybe. I know. What Crazy thought. Yeah, what a novel, novel concept. So, and like I said, you know, my mother's a nurse, and I know the hell, like, she worked at a nursing home, and I'll tell you what, you know, every eensy beensy little crumb and drop of drugs was watched and locked, and, you know, you had to take records on everything that you did to the point that it, you know, it is difficult. And I, no, and, and yeah. I don't want to sound like I don't appreciate how hard our health care workers do work for things like this. But again, one of the reasons it's become so almost stupidly maybe stringent, and I don't know if that's probably not the right word, but you know, I mean, where it is so difficult now for people is because of nonsense like this. And again, not the healthcare workers fault, but the people in charge. Yeah. Because had the people in charge done what they needed to do from the beginning, it wouldn't have gotten to the point where he could have, not even just him, but like in this case specifically, he killed maybe up to 45 people, if not more. It wouldn't have gotten to that point no. had they done what they needed to do. And I'm sorry. So guess what? You know what? Just like when you drink and you get behind the wheel of your car, you're culpable. They are partially culpable for this too. I agree. It's, bullshit is yeah, what it is, it is and it makes me mad me too and this one was a doozy i hate both our cases this week they both made me really <laughs> mad yeah it it's it's not good it's not good i mean none of them are really like good because none of these things have happy endings no someone always dies you know what i mean it's yeah. it sucks all right now I'm sad. Now I'm in a state of depression. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Please do leave your thoughts, comments. Hit we, us up. I do love reading everything on the discussion board. I do too. And I know we get a lot of like funny true crime memes, which always make me laugh. <laughs> but I do like when people post their opinions. Me too. And I really appreciate when people talk about it. Because like I said, these are issues that affect everybody that and i think they need to be talked about they yes. need to be brought up and yes they do i feel like it's not talked about enough not even just this but any of them even whether it be the whole stupid marijuana cases <laughs> or anything like right. that it's just they're not, the domestic abuse these things just aren't talked about enough and i think they they need, they need to, to be, be. yeah so. well thank you very much for listening we appreciate each and every one of you Hit us up on our discussion board. Email us, stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Let us know your thoughts, and thanks for being there. Bye.